0: Bibles, as they uh, get their candy, go ahead and get your Bibles, guys, and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Again, we are uh, continuing our series on spiritual warfare, and as you're doing that, I want to just remind you of uh, your giving this morning. As we uh, do each week, we choose to worship the Lord with his tithe and our offerings. This morning, I want to read to you a verse to kind of stir some of your faith this morning. David is is raising the money. David's not going to be allowed to build this temple. We talked about it just a few moments ago. But he's raising the funds. He's putting the money into the treasury that will help build this glorious temple. And when all the money's come in and the people have brought their their their, uh, their, their funds and their goods and their gold and their silver and all that in... He's praying to God, and he says, Wealth and honor come from you, God. You are the ruler of all things, and in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks, and we praise your glorious name. But watch this in verse 14, David's prayer for himself. But who am I, and who are my people, that we should be able to give as generously as this? Watch the truth. This is a a never-ending principle. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Amen. The principle of giving that we talk about each week, we've talked already where Paul says in Corinthians that we're to, to decide ahead of time what we're going to give and to give cheerfully, not under uh, compulsion or reluctantly. He says uh, the gift is blessed based on, uh, our God's not asking us to give what we don't have, but to give what we have. Exact same thing David says here. Everything is from you, and all we have done is given back to you what is from your hand. So when God ordains and anoints and blesses the tithe, the 10%, the first fruit, the first 10, he's not asking anything of us that we don't have, right? If you made $100 this week, if he blessed you and, and increased you with a $100 this week, he asks for 10 off the top to say, God... Thank you. I believe this gift is from you. I will honor you with the first 10. But you see, that's $100 you didn't have before, and now you take 10. So you're only taking 10 out of what God's already given you, right? That's the basic principle of the tithe. Tithing, you say, is too tough. I don't, I don't know that I could do it. You can. I mean, it's 10% of what he's, he's increased you with. And then he says, and see you, test me. Will I not throw open the floodgates of heaven? Will he not take care of you with the other 90. That's your God. That's your God. So I want to encourage you this morning. Online, you can give digitally. We've got the app. We've got our uh, website, PayPal account. Uh, you can give online there. Here, you've got the tithe envelopes. Make sure uh, you, you have those ready. And then on the way out this morning, you have the uh, boxes on the back that you can uh, uh, leave your Lord's tithe and offering right there uh, this morning, but I do want to thank you for your faithfulness uh, to the Lord and uh, being a blessing to the ministry and mission of your church here, Victory Family Church as well. So you got Ephesians chapter 6 available. We've been talking about winning at spiritual warfare. We have uh, been most recent weeks into the spiritual armor, the six pieces of uh, the armor that Paul identifies, we have been given in Christ. And we recognize he's using an analogy, uh, a visual illustration, if you will, an illustrated teaching as he is quite aware of what a Roman soldier's uh, uh, armor would look like. Then he says, you know, spiritually, church, here's what we have. We have the, the, the belt of truth. We have a breastplate. It's called righteousness. We have, we have our, our feet fitted for battle, and it's called the gospel. He says we have, uh, we have the, the shield of faith and we have a, a sword which is called the, the Word of God. And so he, he puts all of this together. And basically, when we really dive into this, we discover that the pieces of the armor are the activity of Jesus in our lives. It is what Jesus has done and, and is doing on a daily basis within our lives. He is our peace. He is our salvation. He is our righteousness. He is our faith. Remember, Hebrews says, he is the author and the perfecter of what? Our faith. So he is all of that in us. So what Paul is saying is, look, make sure you're girding yourself and preparing yourself daily with Christ because you need to stand your ground. And again, over and over in Ephesians 6, Paul uses the word stand. Once you stand, continue standing. When you've done everything to stand, stand, he says. Well, this morning we come upon the uh, shield of faith, and there's a, a few things that we need to understand about faith this morning before we can actually understand how it works as a shield for us in our lives. So we're going to kind of break down what is faith. I mean, faith, it's kind of a, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, it's real and it's tangible, but it's, it's, it can mean several different things. It can mean religion. A religion is a faith. They'll refer to a certain religion as, well, that's their faith. What Paul's talking to about this morning, though, is not about our religion and about our Christianity. He's talking about faith that believes. Faith that functions out of belief. So some common definitions that you might find in the dictionary are this, of the word faith. Now, these are not Christ-centered or biblically-centered. These are just kind of common definitions. One is this. Faith is a conviction or a firm belief with no tangible proof. To me, that's pretty weak because all faith has to be based on something. Now, what I do know it's saying is you, you, you don't see it, but you do believe. But, but there, there's a reason you still believe even though you don't see it. What is that rooted in? The Bible is going to define that for us in a moment. Another, unco- another common definition is this. An unquestionable belief not requiring evidence. Now that's closer to what faith is in the scriptures and what the shield of faith is. But it's still not complete because there's still something that you have evidence of. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 tells us what faith is. Watch this. Faith and say it with, Let's read that loud together. Faith is the confidence of things hoped for and for the evidence of things not seen. Things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Now let me help you break that down. You have that statement on the screen right there. Faith is the assurance that the things revealed and promised in the Word of God are true even though they're unseen. Now that unseen means they've been unseen by you. But where does your faith root? What is the evidence you have for faith in Christ? God's word. So it's not that you don't have proof. You have proof, you just didn't you weren't there when the Red Sea parted. Had a conversation recently with a young a young person and they're a believer. I believe that. I believe their faith is genuine and real but their deal was, but, but we just don't know. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe Jesus did these miracles, but, but we just don't know because we didn't see them. And I said, well, no, the, the, the reality is your, your faith is not on what you see. Your faith is on what you know, and what you know is from the Word of God. And in the Word of God, eyewitnesses And I have a deep conviction that the Word of God is genuine, will, and true because historically things have been validated. Prophecies have been fulfilled that can be proven they were fulfilled. You know, when Jesus came, what, 300-plus prophecies fulfilled at the first coming of Christ? And you realize, um, well, some people say, well, yeah, but but that's what you Christians say. Well, no, there's a lot of non-Christians who were around. Josephus, Josephus was a a uh, Jewish scholar. He was a Jewish priest uh, as well as a historian. He has written an incredible documentation of the first century in Jerusalem, and covered the church, covered Jesus. He was born in around thirty seven A.D. So he was born a little he was born a little bit after uh, Christ's crucifixion. But who is he learning from, and who is he around, and what is he hearing and seeing, and Experiencing, It's all happening. And he writes about this one named Jesus. Now, he doesn't confess and acknowledge in his writing that Jesus was the Christ. That's not what his purpose was. His purpose was to give a historical documentation of Israel, of Jerusalem in the first century. And what was happening in the first century of Jerusalem? Revival. Outbreak of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so Josephus gives us this. So my faith is in the word of God. And so I told the showman, I said, I, I didn't see any of it, but, but I have no doubt. But we just can't know. No, we can know. I do know. I do know that the Red Sea parted. I do know that manna came from heaven. I do know that Jesus walked on water because my faith is not in what I don't see. My faith is in, in what I believe is real. So it all starts with God's word. So when a definition of faith says without evidence or without proof, that's called blind faith. But some people say, well, your Christianity is just a blind faith. You're just blindly believing. No, 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 no. <laughs> I've picked up the Bible. I've read what the Holy Scriptures say. And I, I believe them. And then when I started to believe what the Holy Scriptures say, I started to see Those realities become my reality, and there was my evidence, there was my proof, therefore there is my faith. That Greek word for faith means to be persuaded or to be assured. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 right here. We're just going to read a couple of the verses. We've read them several times before, but we'll begin in verse number 13. Paul says, after he's already talked about we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, with, with principalities, powers, rulers, authorities. He says this, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. Anybody, anybody believe there's evil around us today? Just a bit? That you may be able to resist the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Verse 14, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Now watch, verse 16 is for us today. In every situation, in all things, take up the shield of faith, with which you may extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So let's talk for a moment this morning about the importance of faith. I present to you that everything in your life relies on faith. Everything about you, every breath you take relies on faith. Every decision you make relies upon faith. Oh, you may have all the facts lined out, and you may have the contract signed, dated, and stamped, but everything exists With some element of faith to it. And everything in your relationship to Jesus is rooted in faith. So let's talk three things right here we need to understand about our faith as a shield. Number one, your faith is priority one. Faith is of the utmost importance in your life. Paul says in every situation, some translations say in addition to take up the shield of faith, King James Version says this, above all else, take up the shield of faith. No matter what else you got going, take up faith. You see this peace that we have in Jesus requires faith. This helmet of salvation with a renewed mind and a consecrated mind, that requires faith in Jesus. The belt of truth requires faith. In Jesus, Everything requires faith when it comes to our relationship to Jesus Christ. It is absolutely essential to every part. Follow this. For example, you're saved by faith. Ephesians tells us that we are, it is by grace we have been saved through faith. God's gift to us is salvation. How did it come to me? By faith. My faith in that gift. I'm saved by His grace through faith. So I can't even be saved without faith. That's the beginning point there. You're sustained. Secondly, you're sustained by faith. Galatians 2, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm still living and breathing and moving. But he says, This life I now live in this body, I live how? By faith in the Son of God. By faith in Jesus, I live and move today. And then thirdly, from the point you're saved and you're sustained by your faith, you're secured by faith. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So there, you get, you got to have faith in order to to honor God appropriately. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is, watch this, a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. To seek Him, you got to believe He exists. To believe He exists, you got to have faith. And when you believe He exists and you approach Him and you seek Him, He honors your heart of faith and your seeking. So everything about your Christian life is sustained by your faith. Second truth we need to understand is you presently possess a measure of faith. Right here, right now, you may feel that you have not an ounce of faith in your body. You're not seeing the miracle of God that you need to see right now. You're not experiencing the presence of God like you, like you feel like you should or whatever's happening, just things weighing on you. And you may feel like you don't have an ounce of faith to see this mountain cast into the sea. But the Word of God says you do have. You do have a measure of faith. Above all else, Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Well, you can't take up what you don't have. So he's not telling you to arm yourself with something everybody else has, but, but you well, you, you better attach yourself, Mark. You better attach yourself to, to Tom because you don't got faith. You're going to have to rely on Tom's faith. Now, you can't take up what you don't have, so God has given you a measure of faith. Now, this gets a little tricky, and I'm going to tell you, even as of 9.05 this morning, reviewing my notes, I'm still trying to work this through with God. But I'm going to tell you what I got so far, and I'm going to tell you, do not write any books about it and quote me, okay? I'm being transparent with you. I have something I think is being said there, but I'm going to leave some room for some other thought to it but I'll explain as best I can. I may have totally lost you already. Like, okay. It's kind of like the the pastor that uh, preached a 26-point sermon one Sunday. 26 points. And the next Sunday, he got up and apologized. Church said, church, in light of last week's 26-point sermon, today's sermon will be pointless. Uh, Or... Maybe it's more like the one where the pastor was sitting in the board meeting with the deacons and got the graph chart showing the decline in church attendance and one of the deacons says, Pastor, I don't know, but maybe you should quit ending all of your sermons with, but then again, what do I know? I'm donating knowledge to you that I'm still weighing out some of what I'm about to share with you. But this idea of the measure of faith comes from Romans chapter 12. In verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, I say everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, watch this, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This is where it gets a little tricky. There are a couple of theories by church scholars and and theologians and people with big letters after their names about what's being said here. A couple of point of views. One of them is this, that God gives each one of us a different measure of faith, according to our ability, going back to the, the parable of the, uh, uh, the wise and foolish servants who were given the talents. And it says there that the master distributed according to their abilities. One got five, one got three, one got one. So based on that and based on the fact that in the context of Romans 12, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. And we do know that when you go to 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Paul gives instruction about spiritual gifts and he says, look, just because your gift is this and somebody else's gift is this, don't think your gift is not as important as this person's gift. And In other words, quit being arrogant about your gifts because they all work for the building up of the body of Christ. So in light of that, some believe that what Paul is saying here, this measure of faith, is that when Leisha got saved, she got a measure. When Tom got saved, he got a measure, and his measure may be different than hers, but they're to work in their spiritual gift together and not be arrogant about it. However, Paul, there in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about this idea of elevating ourselves above one another because of our giftedness. And so... Here in Romans 12, Paul says, uh, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Think with sober judgment. Well, if Lisha got more faith than I got, I'm gonna, I feel kind of like a scumbag. I feel kind of like a loser. Why, God, what do you have against me? And it's going to be a temptation for Alicia to say, well, poor Mark, he got left out. Look at all the faith I got poor Mark. I'll, I'll pray for Mark. I'll pity Mark. Well, you see, now there's you've just laid open an opportunity for a whole lot of flesh and a whole lot of flesh conflict that Paul's trying to suppress. That's one thought. Another thought is this, that God measures our level of faith out to everyone equally. A measure of faith. Now, a lot of people, a lot of scholars believe Paul is speaking specifically to the church, Christians. The King James Version perhaps gives us the better wording of all. If you take if you take the Greek and the and your New Living Translation takes the Greek and and they decide to translate it this way, um, the Christian Standard Version does it this way. The NIV or the New Living Translation does it this way. Yada. And in the King James says it more like this. It says that he has distributed or or measured to all men. Now, if you look up the word that is used for uh, uh, everyone or to accordingly, it's the word that means person. (laughs) It means the word person, or it means specifically man, woman, men, or women. So it could be that the right translation would be more along the line of what the King James says, and that is, to every man, which then kind of flies in the face of, well, you only get faith when you're a Christian. Now, here's, my, here's where I struggle. I have wondered if all of us are given a measure of faith from the beginning. I can't say I find that specific in Scripture. But as I was studying, even yesterday afternoon, I decided, man, I'm still not clear on this. And I go into some more study on that. People saying that, well, you, uh, you get faith after you're redeemed. But we just read, you're saved by grace through faith. You can't even be saved without a faith. And it sounded like this writer was saying you, you, you get redeemed and then this faith kicks in and you believe it. I struggle with that. So then I thought well maybe because this kept co- this verse kept coming back to me out of Ecclesiastes that says God has placed eternity in the hearts of all men. Now what I do know for sure is being said there is that there is this thing in every single one of us whether some uh, remote uh, people and some remote uh part of the world that have never heard the gospel, to Bible Belt folks right here in the buckle of the Bible Belt, knowing and knowing and realizing and sensing that there's there's something more. That's what that gap of putting eternity in our hearts, that there is this thing that draws it. That's why people in remote places who've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, never heard about Jehovah God, Can worship. Now, they're not worshiping that God, but what have they done? They have found a God or created a God to worship. What makes them do that? Something in the heart of every human being longs for eternity, knows there is something greater and more. Where I go with that and where I lean is that to fill that spot, we know Requires faith in Jesus Christ. Now, would God leave us with a void without giving us the opportunity to believe in how to fill that void, or the idea and the understanding that uh, you know we can't be saved without without our faith first and foremost? And I believe faith, I know when it's defined, faith is a noun. But we'll talk in a moment, faith has to be acted on. When God created mankind, He created us in His image. And He gave Adam, and then He's given to every one of us, a will. A mind to reason and think emotions to experience and engage life, mind, will, and emotions, thoughts, will to choose. He gave to man a will to choose. If my thinking about faith is, is, is anywhere remotely right, faith is a choice. I choose to believe, right? I chose to believe on Jesus, I knew all about Jesus, had grown up in church for many years. I chose one day to believe. And so I I feel that God measures to us a measure of faith by giving us the will to choose, the ability, and the privilege to choose. I'm okay with the idea that he gives all of us some measure of faith to begin with. Now you say, but pastor, there there are different levels of faith that we see throughout the scriptures. So true, so true. Let's think about this. Abraham was known as the father of faith. He was known as a man of great and strong faith. The disciples who cast out demons on more than one occasion, Jesus rebuked them as those of little faith. So they were up, they were down. The centurion, a Gentile, came to Jesus that his child might be healed. And Jesus says, no greater faith have I found even among my own people. And this is a guy who's not even necessarily a believer in Christ yet. He's just desperate for his child to be healed. The man who came to Jesus that his child would be healed, and Jesus said, do you believe? The man said, I believe, but but help my unbelief. All of them came with different levels of faith, but they all had some element of faith to begin with. But you see, the disciples could cast out demons in one moment and then be scared to death in the middle of a stormy lake the next. Perhaps our faith can wane. We have it, but we don't always act on it. Does that make any sense to you? Well, that's my story and I'm sticking with it. I don't know. Let me let me let me do let me do put a little safeguard to it here. Whether the other scholars or well, I say other like I'm one I'm not one, uh, the scholars who believe it happens when you're saved, it did. I mean, right? We we have faith. Where we're going with this right now is you have a measure of faith, and if it was given to you when you were created and you were meant to do something with it. Still today, right here, right now, February 21st, 2021, you have a measure of faith. So either way, we can talk to Jesus about it when we get to heaven. But either way, we have been given a measure of faith. And the objective then of this measure of faith is to act upon it, which then the question comes, well, how much faith did I get when God measured it? So you ready for this one? I'm going to go deep on this. How do you measure how much faith you have? I'm going to tell you right now, you have enough. Okay, that's not deep, but it's the truth. If he measured faith to you, you have what you need right now. You have what you need to make the step he's called you to. And when you take that step and it's time to take the next, you're going to find some more faith rising up in you. Where do we get spiritual giants who are full of faith that could almost walk on water like Jesus did? And We look at it and we say, man, their spiritual giants will never be there. You know what? They just exercise faith, you know? I look at, uh, I don't want to pick on anybody, I look at Isaiah over here, and he's nice and fit and strong, and, and I'm, well, I'm this. And the only way I will ever get there will, <laughs> probably won't happen, but if it was even to get remotely close, is I got to start playing baseball. I got to start playing football. I got to start lifting weights. I got to start running. I got to do the things, right? Same way with faith. You look at somebody saying say, they're so strong in their faith. Well, they had a measure like you have. They just stepped out. And it began to strengthen and it began to grow. And when they saw God faithful in that, then they took another step and boom, God was faithful. And boom, and boom, and boom. How much faith did you get? Enough. How much do you have right now? Say it with me. Enough. Third, third truth, last one right here. Your faith must be proactive. Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Take it up. Pick it up daily. Make a choice to live in faith, to think in faith, to speak in faith, and to walk and act in faith. I love Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, if you will. The first several verses begin with uh, by faith, and then it begins to list the different spiritual faith heroes we know in the scripture. And it'll say like this By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed and followed God. By faith, Moses left Egypt. By faith, God's people crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, by faith, by faith. How did these things happen? Individuals took their measure of faith. You know, when I, let me go back to real quick on this idea of did we get it from the beginning? Do you realize Abraham is called the father of our faith? Abraham's recognized by all three major religions as a great man of faith. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all recognize the faith of Abraham. He's called the father of our faith, but do you know what? When God asked him to pick up and move... He wasn't a believer in Jehovah God. No, he had a whole bunch of gods. Or the Chaldeans was a plethora of God worshiping, God's worshiping. And so Abraham, where did his faith come from? I have to say maybe there was a measure given because he was born and made with eternity in his heart. And out of all of his worship of idols, he sensed something greater, picked up on that voice, moved and then on the journey began to realize, oh, so this is the God that I have not known, who actually speaks to me. So that was a side note, putting another brick in my foundation. So by faith, they each completed God's purpose and plans in their generation by doing what God said to do, even when it was beyond their ability and they didn't. See it. James 2 verse 26 admonishes us as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So how do we, how do we begin to, to bring it home? How do we begin to, to bring it to application? You say that you have faith. You say you have faith till you're blue in the face, but faith requires action. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Have you changed? Have you changed the way you think? Have you changed the way you're living to align? You say I have a I have a beautiful pony. Do you now, Craig? Do you do you really have a pony in your backyard? Do you really have a Tyrannosaurus rex in your back? You can say you do till you're blue in the face. But do you really? So you can say, I have faith, but you don't really have faith until it's moving, until it's in motion. So then Paul says, look, take up this shield of faith so that you can quench the fiery darts. What are those fiery darts? They look like this. Destructive desires, temptation, lusts, arrogance, the things of the flesh. Those are fiery darts that Satan will throw at us. And if you don't have a faith in Christ Jesus and the holiness that he calls you to walk in, you'll put aside whatever little faith you have and you'll give into those lusts and to those temptations and into those flesh desires. So Paul says, look, in this day of evil, don't, don't, don't let the fiery darts penetrate you. Take up the shield of faith. Believe and stand on what you believe. Doubt. When, when the enemy puts doubts in your mind about, does God exist? Did God really say? That's the oldest tactic of Satan from the garden in Genesis 3. He approaches Eve and he says, did God really say? If he can remove Eve's shield of faith and present doubt, he's got her trapped. Discouragement. Is one of the fiery darts of the enemy. We start to we start to get down on ourselves. We start to uh, get discouraged. We start to get uh, depressed. We we that's a that's an attack of the enemy on our mind and on our way of thinking. By faith, we have to believe what God says about us and about our lives and about our position in Him and about His provision in us. And then difficulties when we're facing trials. Where is God and and why did God? Those are those are darts of the enemy that are that are meant to penetrate and. And, and begin to get you off track in your, your faith and to begin to doubt. So priority one is your faith. You already possess a level of faith, and it's time to be proactive. It's time to, to step out. It's time to act on it. Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 8, talking about his return, he says, But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Remember, he's already told us that things will be pretty bad and they will grow increasingly worse as the time of his drawing or his time to return draws near. And so he says, in the middle of all that, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So the question to to each of us is, when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, will he find faith? Will he find faith in Mark? Will he find Mark living and acting and responding to life with faith? Paul says, take up the shield. Take up the shield and stand in faith. How do you do that? Here it is right here, your application. One, you got to know God's word. You got to know what his word says. Man, church, if you don't know God said it, you can't believe it. And if you don't believe it, you're going to believe anything else. Know God's word. Read it, study it, make it a part of your life. When you read it, believe it. You've got to become convinced of the truth of God's word. That's where your faith is rooted. Protect God's word in your heart. The enemy's going to try to steal it. I read an article just this weekend of a large mega church up on the over on the east Coast where the pastor's last message a couple of weeks ago stated that uh, I don't necessarily believe that all of the Bible is is God's word to us and then I read another article about an atheist challenging a Christian in a debate, and everybody that pastor I just told you about and in this this debate situation all had to do with this idea that humankind has progressed. Thus, what they're saying is the scriptures are archaic. They're out of date. They're out of touch. When God said this was a sin, we've progressed past that. No, you haven't, my friend. Because what has it to Yeah, we may dress it different, and we may dance to it different, and we may feel it different than it was 3,000 years ago. 3,500 years ago. But we're Adam. We still have the same nature that Adam had. And every man and woman that has ever walked the face of the earth has had that same nature. It may look different and we may respond to it and, and show it differently now in our generation, but it's still the same thing. It is still at the heart of man to want to rule his own domain. And when Adam didn't want God to tell him what he could and couldn't eat, we don't want God telling us. So if we believe what the Bible says is sin, and we believe it's not sin for my domain, it's not sin. So I say, guard God's word. Do not buy into this idea that the word, the scriptures have to evolve to fit into our culture. They're true from day one. They will be true throughout eternity. And then lastly, you gotta do, you gotta do God's word. I want us to pray this prayer together this morning. I want to I say this first that. Whatever measure of faith you have, and you've heard people talk about the gospel, Jesus, the Son of God, dying on the cross, that he was buried for three days and that he rose from the dead. You've heard the truth of the gospel, but you've never believed it. You've never been able to, as you will say, buy into it. Well, you've been given a measure of faith. And at any time and any time and anywhere you've ever heard that gospel, faith is there. But to be saved, you have to to choose. You have to choose to believe and base your life on that truth. Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sin and rose from the dead that I can live with him forever. So you've got the measure of faith. Do you believe today? Would you choose today to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? I want us this morning, before we close with the time of worship, to pray a prayer together. Why don't we go ahead and stand this morning? And as the worship team's coming, we want to pray this prayer together this morning. There's stuff in this message today that's really going to take you. Chewing on it a little bit further in some time with the Lord and getting it down into your spirit where you can stand, taking up that shield of faith. But I want us to pray this prayer in faith together this morning. Are you ready? Lord, help me to take up the shield of faith, to stand strong against the flaming arrows of doubt, deceit, and defilement so prevalent in this generation. I believe that the Holy Bible is your inspired, infallible, and inerrant word for me. Help me to know your word more, to believe it fully, and to act on it with courage and confidence. Lord, my faith in you and your word will keep me standing. And when you return, may you find me standing strong in faith. Yes, Lord. Can you say amen if you believe it? If that's your prayer, say amen to the Lord. So be it, Lord Jesus, we pray, that you find faith in us, Lord. Hallelujah.